Hello. Welcome to Zero Ambitions podcast. Now, this week, we were very privileged to get an early doors chat with incoming REBA president, Muyiwa Oki. He's a lovely fella with a lot of great ideas about how to improve the state of architecture, particularly in terms of its impact. Famously, his campaign highlighted the impact of architectural work on the lives of architectural workers. However, we did talk about that, but inevitably, we dug into environmental impacts associated with the built environment, the construction side of things, well, pet subjects. But we also talked about the impact his vision might be able to affect on this world and the institutions beyond Reba. Anyway, I don't need to keep going on about it. You're already listening. I'll let the episode play. Uh, this week, it was me, Jeff, Sarah, as well as, uh, returning from a long hiatus, Rachel. But yeah, I'll uh, I'll give you the plugs. Join ACAN, subscribe to Passive House Plus, advertise if you need to. And the Zero Ambitions consultancy business is beginning to take shape. So Zero Ambitions Partners, if anyone needs any support, wants to have a chat about any of the issues we talk about, or draw upon some of the expertise of the host lineup, do give us a shout. You can email us at zap at eiux dot agency. Anyway, enjoy the chat. Cheers. Bye. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, uh, Dan. Dan. Yeah. Sorry. No problem. Rachel, Jeff, Dan. Sorry. Okay. Yeah, you know, you know me. I suppose um, me right at this point and the various hats that I wear between. ACAN and practice and built environment smarter transformation and home energy action lab very very happy to have you here feel very honored to have managed to secure some of your time which must be incredibly under pressure at the moment since your recent success as the next reba president yeah, yeah. I mean, no, I I am very honoured to be here, and thank you for reaching out and you know supporting across the board during the campaign as well. So I felt I felt like obliged to return the favour as well, and I feel like same same with you. I feel very privileged to be here, and uh, in terms of time, you know, I have time for friends. So. <laughs> <laughs> No, that's great. That's so good. I mean, actually, we all know you as the next Reba president, but we actually haven't asked about you before that. So that's the bit that I think we'd like to know a little bit about is how, who are you before this? Who am I? I I was just an architect. No, not just an architect. I was an architect. Uh, <laughs> I am an architect. Uh, sorry. <laughs> I was a, I'm still going to be an architect in the future. <laughs> Recovering architect, yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, and I, 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 before that, I, I, I work at Mace, uh, uh, which is a, in some in some circles, looks like an odd thing to do. Uh, I, I work on the, in the design and technology group. Uh, we focus on. Um, uh, innovation, working on modern means of construction projects. And before that, I was uh, I worked at Grimshaw Architects um, for some years, uh, and I was a founder of and chair of a multi-ethnic group and allies network that tried to um, attempted to drive cultural change uh, across um, our, uh, our global offices. And I I am a, an ambassador, speaker, and mentor. 
um, for uh, aspiring architects in programs like the May of London Design Challenge. Uh, I helped out with uh, sort of community interest groups like Scale Rule was sort of instrumental uh, in the Grim in the founding of Grim Grimshaw Foundation. Did the first uh, event, um, and I have been also been very much an advocate of uh, encouraging greater social mobility within the industry and. In terms of architecture, architecture work, I, I, I have a history of working on um, infrastructure projects. So those sort of large projects that are contentious uh, and navigating the, 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 the design and development of those. Big impact and, stuff. Big impact. Well, they, and they, and they are. Impact. Yeah, yeah and well, it's an interesting point, actually, because um, well, you know when we focus in an area like the environmental impact, the, the embodied carbon or whatever of, of a project, it's invariably the building level that we tend to talk about it, um, but we're we're giving a free pass to the industry for for enormous, extremely bad kind of fairly high levels of, of, of emissions uh, in infrastructure, for instance, that, that that just get missed routinely, and um, it's uh, it's something that we need to turn our attention to, frankly, you know, rather than the exciting shiny thing of a building, you know. Yeah, yeah, I think it's we it, it, it need to be thinking about it in a civic scale and where architects can play a role. In uh, in developing the tools and on this and like the the public understanding of how architect architecture impact in their lives. I think it's interesting. You've kind of already said the phrase like you know an architect architect already, and I know one of your sort of mandates that you talked about was actually opening up the work that architects should be doing and thinking about it much more broadly and thinking about alternative career paths that we still use our skills within. And I, I mean, I've been talking to Scott McCauley and he's been speaking to lots of university students about this and sort of trying to champion people that have slightly different or unusual routes that they take after becoming an architect. Is this, this is something that I think you feel quite passionately about, but I don't know if you've got any insights into why you think that's important or what positive impacts people with architectural skills could have in a more broader context? I, I think uh, from where, when I got introduced into this idea was I, I listened to a podcast. I can't remember his name, but it was from UN Studio. And this guy from UN Studio was talking about their workflow. And he was talking about sort of uh, impacting the demand side of, of, of like uh, professions and prof our profession as architects and also because we have all all been focused quite heavily on the supply, the supply of the information of, 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 of architecture services and things like that. And what he was trying to talk about was how do we make the, just a change in narrative and um, so that we can sort of present the meaningfulness of architecture in the public's everyday life so that there is we have this sort of uh, responsibility to them and 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 then sort of rebuild the narrative of, of architects and he was like well we, the way we do it is that we try to work upstream and the way where he was talking about it he was like oh we we sort of partner with local authorities we partner with like hedge funds and this that and the other it's like they're, they're advancing the cause of architecture and architecture services before it comes downstream to the services that you we supply, the design of a building, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that, caught, that struck me and caught my attention. And I've been sort of ruminating about it over the past four, four, five years. And that's where sort of the, one of the ideas of running for the RIBA president was like, how do we reimagine 
what architecture should be doing. And it also comes coincides with this uh, conversation that ARB are doing about the um, reinventing or reimagining uh, the training for architecture uh, architecture training. And I think it's just you know this nice serendipitous moment where the things that I've been thinking about, uh, talking about in the background can actually uh, come to the foreground and then people can just sort of think about, you know, designing a career in architecture using the skills that we learn in, in university but using it a little bit more flexibly just like um i just like in that podcast that i listened to just trying to move upstream downstream sort, sort out the demand side and also the, the, the supply side of our of, of, of the architecture service i think that's really interesting hearing you talk about the sort of sliding scale of impact. I think Rachel might guess where I go with this, which is around um, we've been trying to analyze the work that we do in ACAN, let's say, around the impact that our campaigns might have relative to a method of understanding that, which is Donella Meadows Leverage Points essay, this thesis about where in the system that you interact and what level of impact that that might have. But understanding that it isn't just linear, that it's also kind of quite an um quite an amorphous and uh, changeable landscape but you do have to consider what door am i knocking on here and what actual impact will it have and what it brings to mind is a couple of us here were at best fest a couple of weeks ago mm-hmm. and we were speaking um well uh christina gager who was the former president of the rias was uh talking and we were talking about the accessibility of architectural services and how often small practitioners would say things like, well, you know, I, I just, I, I, you know, a lot of people can't afford the services of an architect. And you start to think, well, that's a problem in itself, isn't it? And the issue around that wasn't so much like, well, people just need more money then to access architecture services. And instead, the approach to this was, well, how do how does the industry, because what I think you touched on there was we need to get the access to this space much more broadly accessible so how does the industry consider flipping itself to make itself more accessible you know how do we do that and it's really interesting to hear you say so I you know thought well I'm going to go upstream I'm going to go downstream and it's releasing that kind of um almost imagination or ambition like it's to just go yeah I'm going to do that I'm going to do that because I see that's a need so I'm going to do that and to have you move in that way and to be so supported as you were in your campaign for presidency, I think sent such a powerful message to the industry, which was, oh, right, okay, yeah, so change can be quite quick then, can it? Yeah. I think that was really um, fascinating. So I really have a question out of that. I just have an observation to say, wow, there's a lot of talk around this at the minute. Um, did you feel Did you feel a surge of support? Did you feel that impact when you were running for the presidency of the RIBA? Yeah, no, I, I, um, so the the reason it came even, even to my, my purview was there is this group of, of us in a WhatsApp group and we're all talking about different things and someone's crazy idea, wacky idea was, oh, look, the, 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 <laughs> the presidency thing is, is up for, uh, it's, it's up for, it's on the ticket this time. How about, we do this so that we can get the conversation from our WhatsApp group into the public sphere. And all of us have been 
in our different capacities, doing our different bits um, quite informally. And this was like this one project that, that felt like, okay, let's all of us, like in this 12, 13 of us in this group um, back. And uh, I think, I don't think I quite appreciated the amount of support we were going to get. Um, <laughs> And because it was somewhat of an experiment, uh, I don't, I can't remember. I mean, I don't really pay that much attention to the presidency cycles. I, I mean, I, I vote each time, but I, I don't remember there being a, a, a sort of a worker president mm, uh, on no. ballot. And I think, yeah, again, we we, we very we're very ad hoc about it all, and and I think that the momentum that built up just based on the fact that you know. Someone, people are actually, I mean, some people have actually thought about it. Um, they were talk, we were talking about like climate issues because we, we wanted um, to move from a sort of declaration point of view to an action standpoint. We were talking about issues like uh, health and well-being over time. And these are the issues that, you know, that that, that we are, we are facing, we, we come across quite often and there was there was a feeling of if we don't say it no one else will do mm. that and and i and i think that just the the support was uh it was very much like um looking back in hindsight it was obvious um and 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 i think just being able to that having the privilege to do that was, uh, I, 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 yeah, I, yeah it, was, it was, it was one of the best things I've done actually. <laughs> but I mean, so the, the 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 moving the movement around addressing the concerns of a huge number of architectural workers reflects other struggles that we're seeing everywhere across society: the nurses striking, mm-hmm. um, postal workers striking, transport workers, comms workers, all of that striking about living conditions. So it's not. And a an issue that is felt solely by architectural workers. But what's different is, as you've just said, it was never talked about. I think that's a part of a problem. So, it, well, it's it's interesting know. how it's very reflective of what happened in 2015 with the Labour leadership election with Jeremy Corbyn, where the unlikely left of field candidate was presented like yeah. no chance, not what yeah. he said. He's he's talking about. But, but I think it's slightly it's slightly different in that. It's slightly different in that I don't think I don't think it was ever a moment in anybody who saw you on the ballot thinking no chance. I think everybody thought this is the chance and it will happen and we'll we'll make this happen. And the reason that it was so like needed was because I think like you've said, like it is so obvious. Why haven't we blown this a wide open before? Why haven't we said that actually a lot of practices in architectural workers? experiences are exploitive it's terribly painful I mean I left big practice because there was no way I could have a family and be in big practice but that's a problem that's a big problem like we all have experience of that so like my question is really about like the accountability of that statement now how does that shape up (laughs) in the energies that you'll put into your presidency like (laughs) how So we all know, yeah, we need change and yeah, we'd yeah. love to see that. But how do you even start to like address yeah. the accountability over, say, just the working culture issue? Yeah, and if you don't want to lay out your tactics explicitly here, <laughs> yeah. you can be as circumspect with your answer <laughs> yeah. as you like. I think um, it, it, it all boils down to collaboration and I think getting buy-in. Um, I, in, I mean, I'm going over 
old ground, what I said in, in my uh, in my manifesto, it was like, well, we need to start having the discussion, right? It's the same way we sort of addressed um, diversity, inclusion, and things like that. We first we first had to have the discussion, and now we're like, we're, we're talked out now. Let's now do do it. Um, same way with climate action, climate climate emergency. We've talked about it. We've talked about it for like thirty years, right? <laughs> and 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 uh, and Greta Thunberg just came like, well, you guys, it's not good enough to have all these things. We actually need to be act. Act, activist about it and do things and the same thing with this uh, uh the sort of health and well-being working culture we haven't even had the conversation because it's just like we're in some sort sort of denial phase uh i think <laughs> <laughs> like um that everyone like the architecture is a sort of labor of love is a passion project first of all it's a job um <laughs> And um, until we like like eradicate that from our psyche, we're gonna continue losing talented, not like fascinating people to yeah. other industries. Because I don't see it as you know one big practice competing with another big practice for talent. I'm saying architecture is competing with other industries for talent. You are competing with you know the likes of you know the tech industry. They're doing really poorly right now, but. You know, those are the types of people that need to be in the profession, and those are people like like I I would like to work with so that we are creating this sort of aspirational community that you know that is that is future focused and also actually solve being part of the sort of global conversations about the big issues, climate change being one of them. Yeah, that's, that's so great, isn't it? It talks to the themes that we've talked about before as well of expanding our reach beyond our silos. Mm. You know, like where the magic happens is in the space between the work that we're all doing. If we could just stop for a minute and see what can we learn from each other and how we can sp- expand in those spaces. Because, yeah, like not to sound too like crass, but like we're all like global citizens who have different levels of responsibility when it comes to our privilege and therefore how much we should be putting our efforts into acting for this change so it's really great to hear that as well through the messaging that you were do you think do you think the institution's ready for what this could open up for them i I believe so yeah i think um everyone again took going to sarah's point about this the support i feel that same support uh, within the organization and i think there is there's, there's this there's a drive and opening to be um, the standard bearer, because that's what the institutes are. Um, they they raise the bar, the 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 bar for like how the 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 professionals or pro- people see the profession. Um, so they set the standard, and 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 um, there is no so so far there hasn't been any sort of pushback. But then again, I haven't shown them anything. So, uh, one of the sort of solutions that seems to keep um, coming up when we talk about this especially when you talk about taking declarations and making them to into action and this can probably apply to everything from roots into practice to diversity to climate change to you know how we treat the people that work in the industry which is transparency so obviously the reba 2030 challenge asks for architects to submit data after a year following practical completion which i think is really important because mm-hmm. We know that there's this massive performance gap. It's super tricky because loads of our buildings are tenanted by multiple people and getting all the permissions is really hard. And 
clients aren't necessarily used to it yet so I think that's one area where we can definitely keep pushing further and maybe the REBA has a role to play in getting the whole industry used to the idea of being more transparent and I think on a daily basis Jeff is probably fighting with transparency over embodied carbon emissions trying to figure out what have they actually included but like do you uh, think that yeah. should be like more transparency around pay banding you know the hours that staff work do you think there's a role for like radical transparency I guess to play when the reapers like considering change that needs to happen um without getting too specific about and things like that yes i think one of the campaign promises or uh campaign pledges was to be transparent be accessible as possible and uh again it that goes to like standards as well so what are the standards uh for for doing all these stuff the, the RIBA than the institutes at large. I think it's also the collaboration with other institutes because at the moment it feels like, I mean, in my understanding of Bisria and RICS, what they're doing, I don't know. And um, that sort of um, bringing, all the, bringing all the built environment institutes together to like work on a common goal is, is some sort of my fledgling ideas of how, how to actually tackle the, the issues you're raising, Rachel. I think that's really interesting that you said that you say that. Okay, let me say this in another way. You've openly kind of expressed like vulnerability and owning what you don't know. Mm-hmm. And I think there's something like mega powerful in that because we have had a tendency to be like arm around the homework. Let's protect our space because our fees are being like, you know, completely underpinned and or under unpicked and whatnot and I think actually just by saying actually you know we don't really know this stuff don't really know that very well or we've lost control of that bit and we need to regain control not for control's sake and owning it but for like understanding and knowing when to tap into other sources of knowledge and information so that we can kind of move forward collectively with that so the the, the I go one further to say that the transparency also needs to make that ability to be slightly vulnerable and own what you don't know acceptable and not something to pretend that you know because i think there's too much of that that can happen as well yeah yeah i i i think so and um with i think there's there's this sort of like what is good leadership is i'm learning learning now because now i have i have this role this position and I'm reading all these books about what leadership is and things like that. <laughs> fresh, like, you know, as, as, a, as a fresh, like, millennial person who hasn't really had that opportunity um, to do it on such a sort of massive scale. And with leadership, it's about, like you were saying, Sarah, vulnerability, but also having given that capacity for the rest of the, pe- the people around you to input creating a space where uh, a more uh, like creating a space where more people have a, the sort of authority and authority to 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 sort of uh, uh, access, first of all access information but also leverage that information for um, the common goal which is in my case climate action um, health and well-being um, and just general engagement with with the coolness of what architecture brings to you this is amazing, but this this for me, what you're talking about is is kind of in a subtle way, uh, it's actually profoundly kind of revolutionary. Yes, I, I'm always I, I'm going back to um, I always go back to um, 
there's a white paper that um, Ben Goldacre, the journalist um, and medical doctor, uh, produced for the Department of Education or Ministry of Education, or whatever you call it there, um, a few years ago on evidence-based education and applying the principles of evidence-based medicine to education. And he talked in the foreword to that paper about the advent of uh, uh, evidence-based medicine, about the idea of you know, the development of randomized controlled trials and, you know, as imperfect systems it is, but, uh, it's been kind of profoundly transformative in medicine, uh, about how when that was being developed in the, in the 20th century, the kind of pillar figures in medicine, the kind of, uh, well, the equivalent of you, but basically now, me, me, in your new role, um, the kind of uh, the people who were heads of the royal colleges, surgeons, and so on, were very generally disapproving because uh, they saw it as a uh, a threat to their authority, to their kind of unimpeachable authority, mm. you know. Mm. And Goldacre described it as the move from kind of eminence-based medicine to evidence-based medicine. And and I see as somebody who's been in this, you know, publishing in this industry for for, for the last twenty years, uh, you see residues of that certainly, or reflections of that in in uh, in different parts of the construction industry, including within architecture. Um, this you know this idea of actually taking your preconceived notions, including within the early kind of conceptions of, of sustainable building, which have been kind of, you know, which, which are kind of established in the 70s and so on, and actually subjecting them to scrutiny and seeing if they stand up. Like it's the thing of hanging around mm. after a building is finished, yeah. you know, and, and, and daring to talk to the occupants and daring to find out how it's worked, for instance, you know, yeah. that for me, I know it's a can of worms um, and a, you know, potentially um, because you'll find out whether the buildings worked or not. Right. Yeah. Um, whether, whether you judge that uh, in terms of energy or, 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 or other kind of, you know, easily yeah. kind of quantifiable metrics or, um, or, or pe- people's actual perception of the building, but there's great opportunity in it too. You know, I mean, we can have so much more confidence um, and uh, there's, there's gotta be so much more of a role for architects. If we, if, if, if we can show that as designers, that they, that they understand this and their decisions are, are, are founded on a really good understanding of building physics and of, and, and of, uh, of, uh, of people's needs. There's, uh, it, it to me feels like there's an exciting opportunity there. Yeah. I think that's like what I, I sort of, term like like civic buy-in right and i also come from this this uh, from like uh uh seen as the potential for architects to work like what i was saying earlier to work at in, in different scales in different streams like upstream downstream and things like that and i'm also quite fascinated with the fact that you know i've i've been practicing for almost 10 years now and there's there are certain parts of the river plan of works that i have never ever worked in and that's like the later part of it um sort of the stage uh stage six and seven post-occupancy e- evaluation and not really in stage zero because again i'm a sort of middle management uh, architect um so where you're trying to i think it's like sort of covering the circle so understanding what the the client wants or what the community wants and also what they got at the end. And I feel like, so if you think about it, there's like, for me anyway, my, my, my anecdotal experience, there's like three out of seven, almost half of um, the plan of works that I haven't as an architect explored in any, any sort of fashion. And I think there's that, in my head, there's that narrow 
um, definition of what an architect does. And it starts from stage one and it ends at stage four, really. And the contractor takes over in, in, in stage five. And then just there's that. Basically, I just see this massive opportunity. This is where it comes from this re reimagining, redefining what an architect does and what we want from architecture. These three bits that we haven't totally explored or I haven't seen it being explored or championed in any way. And I am talking about, well, how about we do that? Yeah. And if you think about that, like, I mean, Jeff does talk about this a lot, and I think he's right too, when we talk about the sort of the building performance evaluation and how historically it kind of been seen as a tag on at the end, if you can have a bit of money somewhere to kind of manage it, rather than something that's stitched all the way through the project. And if, and I know, because like from my experience as an architect in big practice, it was the same. You certainly were never involved in the early stages because, you know, you're just a you're just a, you're just, you know, you're not a director. So you're not allowed to have those conversations with the clients where the money is discussed and, and what the needs of that client might be, which is a, a missed opportunity, I think. And then at the end as well, because actually where, where the bulk of crunching the numbers and rinsing the project for profit is in, is in those middle stages that as a younger lower value in inverted commas um architect is where you can pour all the hours into to really like <laughs> string out the project yeah. to come out with a profit at the end which is all you know the, the problematic space anyway but what you're lacking in that is that you're lacking that like vision from start to finish so that you know that circle again as you yeah. touched upon like we're all kind of making these circle shapes with our hands but if you don't have at least some awareness of all of that running through, how can you ensure that the things that will deliver what Jeff is referring to in this building performance outcomes, mm -hmm. how can you ensure that you know what it was supposed to be going in, that you've protected it on the way through mm -hmm. so that you're going to get it on the way out if you're not allowed into those spaces? And I'm not mm -hmm. saying that it's a practice's fault for that. The whole procurement structure is set up to yeah, not yeah. support that. All sorts of other things are set up not to support that. So it's again, like I know, you're talking about things that we talk about quite a lot in abstract terms or just in, in discussionary terms. But I agree with Jeff that these things that you were saying are like, in a way, quite revolutionary because you're about to be the president of the RIBA. That's and like you have quite. Influence. Yeah. 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 Well, it's, I think it's weird having an incoming figurehead, like notionally at the top of the game, who's openly thinking progressively. Like the one of the sentences that stood out in your statement was your intention to make the profession a truly valued, competent, and diverse source of solutions for the built environment, which is funny because like that encompasses environmental impact, like post occupancy, but it could also encompass education, which is sorely lacking at the top of the industry in terms of the 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 pet subjects and hobby horses that we have about the environment. Mm -hmm. Like one of the conversations we've been having with people at all sorts of levels. So with the consultancy that we're running off this, the back of this podcast, we keep encountering really senior people or hearing of really, really senior people who just don't understand anything that we're talking about. Like literally anything sometimes. Like uh, we run an interesting workshop where we have people to define, all right, so what is carbon? And man, you saw the room freeze because they didn't know how to, like, what question are they asking? We'd have been happy with any answer. But, like, you know, we were leading to a point whereby they could start to begin to develop a strategy which would account for how do we incorporate understanding embodied carbon mm -hmm. in our subject, like in the, the, in the project that we're involved in. And it was a big new build project, but uh, 
yeah, man, you know, it wasn't abject terror, but they were quiet like it was. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm particularly interested in education. Like, are you, yeah, you, yes. you might get to educate your peers, but you can talk to these people on a level now. Yeah, yeah. And again, um, uh, over the next year, um, I have, I, I, I keep, um, well, I have this uh, idea. It's called a listening tour. So I'm going to go out to different schools and just listen. Like, what is what is the issue here? I have these points that I talked about, but you know, you tell me what is what is uh what are the key things to 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 address? And like, what what do you want for for for? I'm I'm thinking about sort of an education bit, so go to different schools, and also uh like a professionals bit, so I go to like select uh. Uh, practices across across the UK and just understand what's going on and and I think that just I think as as a starting point that's that's where I uh, I, I see how to create or create a, a a strategy that has more impact and also make sure that it's it's sort of meaningful and it it it, it actually touches people's lives. Um, because that that's that's what I want at the end of this and like well you know I mean he didn't achieve all the stuff that he talked about but I, you know I I felt touched and I I I want to continue being part of the conversation and maybe I'll be part of the conversation with the RIBA in some capacity and that's what I that's that's my that's my hope. I think that's um it's great to hear that almost um replicated in a conversation that we had last week with um Chris Stewart who's the president of the RIAS, the Royal Incorporation of um, uh, Architects in Scotland. And he's similarly on a tour, a listening tour, Mm -hmm. going around, hearing from the regions, hearing about what the the pain points are. He's building on the work of his predecessor, Christina, in, in some of that kind of opening up this sort of transforming the reach of the RIAS as a a forum to exchange knowledge, to exchange information, to allow the spaces for people to share those pain points and those success stories. It's so heartening to hear your approach doing that. Chris is doing that. You've obviously not been sharing notes about that's what I'm going to do here. But the fact that that's coming up in your recognition of this position of leadership, of access to communities of, of people within the um, industry. It's, isn't that really great? Isn't that lovely to know that that's not just something that like is happening in isolation? Sorry, Rachel. No, no, no. Um, I just, I was going to go back to an earlier point that you made. Um, yeah, I was going to go back to the, you know, when we were talking about this part zero and the part six and seven, and really those are the stages where we basically figure out what is the impact that this project is going to have on the local community, the stakeholders, everyone that passes it by, and all of the gigantic web of people that get impacted by buildings. And then six and seven is where we go, okay, so what was the impact of it? So we're kind of cutting a lot of people off from this idea that, you know, architecture is inherently political. And this is something that we have been trying to sort of talk more about in the climate literacy group and the events that we do, that more and more as architects, we really need to have the conversations about the social side of the decisions that we make and the political side and and all of these different ramifications. And I guess one thing, you know, you were saying, I just want to have like some impact. I, I already feel like you have because when you were standing for election, a sort of little anecdote from us was um, it was the first time really in practice that I felt people 
at all levels engage with the election. So at BGY, we held this little hustings where we um, had three different people um, present each person's manifestos, but anonymously. So you didn't know whose manifestos were who. Um, and we had everyone in the room because we also gave them cake and people turned up to cake. Um, <laughs> And um, we were basically said, look, not everyone gets a vote, right? Because not everyone is an RIBA member, but some RIBA members might not know where to vote. So why don't we see what everyone thinks? And then if you've got a membership, but you don't vote, maybe you can, you know, vote with what your part one wants. Um, And yeah, we got, we sort of got people to indicate who they agreed with. The vast majority of them really did agree with your manifesto the most. And I felt like it was like the first time that post-university, lots of our part ones, part twos and architects got to engage with this idea that architectural is politi- architecture is political again. Mm. So I think even like the fact that you're here mm. now is making this conversation happen. So it can only get better, right? Uh-huh. Hey, Rachel, who brought that idea into the practice? To do the hustings? Yeah. yeah. It's um, a brilliant idea. I'm just curious because like, first of all, I feel like what a great idea to get conversation going. And oh, wouldn't that be amazing you. if more people did? And I was kind of thinking, I was like, I mean, it, it sounds like something that Rachel might bring into the practice because you're so active in a lot of spaces. But if you didn't immediately go, oh, yeah, no, that was me. I'm like, oh, this is I, even you know more I think, so we have, because um, we're an EOT, we have um, a set of forums. So <sighs> we actually have like a forum steering group where we get together and we plan events for staff. So it was our, it was our forum steering group. So it's, it was kind of a collaborative process that this came out of. For any listeners, an EOT, an employee-owned trust? Yes, that is right. So, yeah, so employees of our company get a say in... That's, that's just what we do for Alex. Alex is always like, we have to stop using acronyms without explaining them first, and I'm the worst at that, so I'm trying to listen. So that's for you, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, that's so brilliant to hear, um, uh, all the different uh, ways people engage with the, with the process, and it's, like, so heartwarming to hear that. You know, it was taken so seriously um, by by everyone, um, and and I think yes, you're right, Rachel. Like architecture is inherently political because this is it's a choice, right? Um, it's like do you build this here or here? Do you build it with what or that? This or that? Like you know, and I think I I owe that sort of political awakening to my 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 university, University of Sheffield. They had. I, yeah, they they were very much you know, um, architecture is a part it's it's part of like it's a participatory type of learning environment that you need to in, inhabit and you need to you know go and talk to uh, the local lo- the locals to understand what is even in your fantastic fantastical ideas in university about building places you need to actually talk to the those on on ground to get um to get a flavor of the location, the context. The context was always important. And I, I mean, yes, I I, 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 um, I I don't even know where I'm going with this point, but like, I, I think just making sure that that, for me anyway, is reflected across the spectrum of architects will be, again, a, a, a fantastic place for us to, to all be in. Did you have um, Fionn Stevenson when you were at Sheffield? She, I had Fionn, yeah, and Flora. She's so amazing. Had, yeah, she's, yeah, she's she is. Um, shout out to Fionn Stevenson. Uh, she's formidable, and like she's just been so strong on so many of these issues, um, and very political actually as well. Um, mm-hmm. For 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 a long time, you know. Um, 
Um, you know, it's, it's very interesting. I, I was interested in you, and um, I mean, you talk about you know uh, going upstream and so on. But what, what I'm what, one of the things that was interesting to me as well is that there are lots of areas, even in the context of buildings of, of works that are done on buildings, where actually there's no real architectural involvement. Um, and uh, retrofits, uh, like uh, low, low um, we say, life approaches to retrofit, be an example, the kind of grant funding schemes and so on. There's, there's, there's not enough of a place a lot of the time for a designer. And a lot of the time you find that the works, like, like the decisions that are taken in terms of what measures are done to the building, end up being handed over to a contractor. And I find that really problematic for, for a bunch of reasons. And I just, you know, obviously... If it's a light retrofit, yeah, you can understand why people might struggle to find the budget to pay for a designer uh, when it's a question of, you know, uh, I don't know, insulating a cavity wall or a loft insulation or whatever, you know. Um, I mean, I would say, obviously, we need to start thinking about much go, go, going much deeper anyway, given uh, that the world is on fire and all of that. But the point is that, um, you know, we've got, we've, there are ways that we can, we can, we can organize this stuff, like pooling, like, like collaborating, like pooling projects together where it makes it possible to do that. And I just think, this is an area, for instance, where you just hope to see that provided, I have to say, there's a big caveat here. We need to ensure that architects really do have the expertise and competency and understanding what they're doing to buildings. This is the whole thing, again, about not being unimpeachable authority figures. They need to know that there's this commitment to, to, to learning and understanding what they're doing. But there's great, in other words, there's, you know, they, they have to do work, uh, but there's great opportunity if they do. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah, there's, a, there's a piece on informing and upskilling. Uh, professionals and starting from you know university and going back to beyond back in 20 the, the 2010s we were talking about we had we had to it, we had to like there had to be an environmental angle to the most even the most fantastical spaceship project had to have like a like you know well you know well i'm gonna build uh some trees here to offset the carbon that like you know some some sort of idea uh about like the 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 the, the environmental impact of what you're fictitiously designing and i think going even deeper with that like you know like like you're saying how how to 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 have an impact in retrofit projects i remember reading a little bit about uh, this uh, architectural practice lacaton in the south oh yeah um, amazing yeah, the Pritzker yeah. Prize winners. Yeah, 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 yeah. The Pritzker Prize winners, and and I was always, I, I, I thought they were cool, but also I felt very, um, like, uh, not willing to say they were cool back in the day because <laughs> they, <were laughs> because it wasn't it wasn't the sort of the thing to do. Like you had there was the, there were the star architects that you had to be uh, enamored by. And part of this sort of opening out the opening out the franchise is to like you know think like give give it access or or um, give space for folks like 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 Atom Vital and their style of architecture, which is a little bit more forensic. It's it's sort of focusing on like uh -huh. this sort of off the peg materials with some elegant economy that are that are that that is just outside of you know the brand new shiny. Uh, picturesque, you know, uh, uh, um, works of art or works of architecture. I think moving moving the conversation and expanding that franchise is, again, something that's super important. 
I think this is like a crucial, crucial, crucial point that underpins all of it. And, you know, thanks for your honesty for saying, I didn't know if I was allowed to say I like them. (laughs) Because that's exactly a problem in um, architectural education. And I know things have been changing a lot in the last sort of three to five years, much more than it was, say, when um, even 10, 15 years ago. And what's so important about that there, there are several strands in my mind that I'm trying to pull together. And I think if I just say the words Anthropocene Architecture School, that'll probably land for enough people around the work that Scott McCauley um, is doing, where he felt let down by the architectural education that he was receiving, knowing full well the context of the climate crisis and other crises that were working within housing crisis, all of those things, and felt like, hang on a minute, this isn't good enough. I'm not ready to deal with the world that this education is sending me out into to deal with. So what am I going to do? And his calls arguably landed on deaf ears. And so he set up his own architecture school. <laughs> uh, shout out to Scott. Um, and, and that's incredible. And what that has done, you know, collectively working with Anthropocene Architecture School, and again, props to the ACAN education team for fundamentally going out and engaging with every architecture school in the UK, trying to enable every student, every tutor to just grasp these issues and put them central to the curriculum. Not to, not, not for any other reason, like to put everything else out of the way, but to refocus on actually the, the very real issues that, that we're facing. And mm-hmm. the bit that I'm kind of getting to is that Scott and I gave a talk to uh, a school. I don't, I can't remember who it was. And I, had the same conversation then with the LSA students where we were talking about the need for creative reuse. And I was essentially saying like, just, just while you are here conceptualizing projects, build nothing new, try that, like try that on, build nothing new. And there was like one hand up that was like, oh, it's really hard to hear as an architecture student. And we had this discussion around the fact that a new shiny building does not an architect make you. The way you think is what makes you an architect. And if you look outside and you recognize that all of the materials that you have available to you exist already and that you are not allowed to mine anymore and you are not allowed to haul out any more carbon from the earth, you have to do with what we've got out there now. There has never been a more creative moment to be an architect because you have to rethink things. You have to problem solve in the meta. So like, that is really something that we could do with grasping a whole lot quicker because but, people like Lacton have been doing it for a long time. More of us should be able to do it. But mm. your issue there is it's coming from the ground up. Like the mm. educational deficit sits at the top. Like you're reluctant to name your favorite architectural practice at that point in time because the people with the status have not conferred status upon them in the same way. Mm. And like we're still, so we were talking about all this offline where Rachel raised the issue about the Sterling Prize, where uh, environmental issues are not fundamentally encoded into how that prize is judged. And you've got big-name practices producing, what is it, ski slopes in Dubai or Saudi? There was that, we shared that in the chat the other week. But you've still got nonsense like that, which is still, this is where the status comes from. It's... Billy Big Bollocks stuff. I do. I would do a shout out to Goldsmith Street. In fairness, like a social housing passive house project of, of really high density as well. Like uh, was, um, you know, so there are signs of of, of change happening. You know, um, it's a bit a bit late though, isn't it? <laughs> but we're already writing off one and a half degrees, and mm. we're still lauding uh, yeah. 
desert-based ski slopes. Yeah, no, it, it is crazy. If you listen to if you listen to um, Araceli Camargo from Centric Lab talking, one thing that she said at Retrofit Reimagined this summer earlier on was like she's like we're still obsessed with growing pineapples in the desert. Like, leave it alone, let it grow where it can thrive. Stop taking its autonomy away, and that's what we're doing by insisting that look at us. You know, that progress means that we can do anything anywhere with any amount of material that we like because we can. <laughs> and it's sort of like, but that is so twisted. That is mm. really twisted. Like, when did we how did we get here? Just refocus, just turn your turn your focus to the really exciting spaces of regenerative design, distributive by design, like all of those things, instead of this like extractive ridiculousness it's and place. Like yeah. you get the biggest props for building the most gaudy nonsense. Um, <laughs> sorry, you were going to speak, me. No, no. I mean, I I don't know what this is. This is now the sort of place where I'm like, okay, well, uh, my company, we are we do quite a lot of stuff all around the world. So, conflict of interests sort of inserted <laughs> here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I think the point the point really is is bringing it back to where we started yeah. on education. Are we even, like, because we can spin off now into all sorts of rhetoric about, like, what we're not happy about and what we think are big problems and personally what we might take, you know, umbrage with. But we still need a basic understanding of building physics across the spectrum. We still need climate literacy across the spectrum. We still need those to really, really be filtered widely across the industry and and that's what I think we all have to do. It's repetitive messaging, isn't it? It's repetitive yeah. messaging. It's just saying that same message over and over until we don't need to say it anymore, until everybody gets it, until everybody sees the value in it, until we like make that change. So it's sort of like banging that drum around the same fundamental bits that underpin it. Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's challenging the status quo. And when, when yeah. the status quo is, is something that's valuable to all and it's more sustainable, I think then we can be... Yeah, we can we move to another bigger agenda top agenda item. It just feels it feels like we need to do it in a way though that's um that I know I've been accused of being very kind of left of brain in my approach at times, you know, by a prominent green architect who a uh, friend of mine uh, uh, when I when I started scrutinizing a, a proposed standard that he that he suggested that we should write about when and I came back with a list of questions about uh, what the targets were what the, what the, what the indicators were in it um but um it feels like we we kind of have to try and do that you know to, to, in, in order to to actually pin down what you know what we want to do I mean the, so the, the climate challenge the rebuild climate challenge I take I, I was very pleasantly surprised when that came out and pleasantly surprised with, with how, how kind of radical it was in lots of ways, you know, and, uh, and with the openness within uh, the RIVA about, um, about uh, you know, the fact that the, these are on embodied carbon, for instance, they were holding targets and that they would review them and, you know, uh, uh, they didn't know whether they got the targets right, frankly, at this, this sort of stage. But it feels to me as well, like one thing that I would, I'd love to see happening in the same way that you do in kind of more academic disciplines is something some way of kind of bringing something resembling peer review in in a kind of a formal way where you have uh, some degree of proper uh structured uh feedback on yeah. on on, on uh, 
on a given piece of architecture. So, that, you know, and learning from that. And I, even within that, I mean, one of the things that, that I find is fascinating is that, and it's very frustrating that this doesn't get into the, that this doesn't uh, have more of an impact, but some of the architects who go down the building physics rabbit hole um, that, you know, things like Passive House can lead you towards um, end up uh, getting a lot of work, kind of expert witness work on uh, buildings, including I know of one prominent Irish architect who's a lot, a lot of work recently on notion or attempted low energy buildings under our, because we've got quite ambitious building regulations, for instance, in, uh, in this regard, um, that have gone wrong because of failure to properly and uh, robustly detail very kind of specific things like thermal bridging, for instance, whatever. Um, you know, and one story of a, of a roof literally sliding off a building because of that reason, for instance, you know. Um, and uh, the, unfortunately, that stuff doesn't, doesn't really come out because you know he can't uh talk about it publicly and uh and you lose this huge uh this 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 wealth of information that really should be informing our collective understanding so it feels like that would be something that we i don't know how to do that how to kind of bring that kind of understanding in we talked about that before to me in a way of capturing that information and anonymizing it so that you can allow this sort of transition around the vulnerability piece we were talking about earlier the fact that we learn, you learn much more. I mean, I have two small children. We talk about all the time, like making mistakes and learning from those mistakes and being open with your mistakes and celebrating your mistakes because otherwise they'll never try anything and we won't learn from those things. And it's like, you know, we do that all the time in raising our children. And we are at, we are very much like delivering this new way of, of architecting, of being in the building industry. Why we're not also taking that forward, I understand why we're not, because we're not just starting afresh. We're actually having to transform something that wasn't used to that. But those are the sorts of um, things that maybe by putting these into structures that exist to protect that bit of vulnerability that people aren't quite comfortable for. But also, I know there's all sorts of other risk like tied up with that, Jeff, as you referred to earlier, you you know, alluded to this being a can of worms, but it's an yeah. important can of worms to kind of get comfortable with. But again, yeah, and it's... It's solvable again. Yeah, yeah, totally. You know, this is the point. It's it's not that hard if people pay attention. We 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 know we know how to resolve these issues. It's not that, so we don't have to be scared of it. It just requires people paying attention and and a uh, and understanding that there are specific approaches that need to be taken. You know, uh, you know, uh, there are uh, consequences uh, in in terms of moisture movement through buildings or whatever it might be that you can run into, and and they're knowable. You know, um, yeah. and they're knowable up front. You know, they're predictable. You got to start somewhere. Just uh, as a by the by, in our research for the low energy buildings database project that we were running, we spoke with one of uh, one of your guys at Reba now uh, about the potential for including post occupancy data in award submissions or a requirement for post occupancy data. So the award itself would have to run over like a three year period because a year is not enough. And so you get the 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 stardust and showbiz in the initial year because that's often how buildings are assessed. You know, mm-hmm. here is the design we made it. Did it even work though? Who knows? No one cares. Mm-hmm. And so attach a an opportunity for the ward to be rescinded if it doesn't perform, particularly in environmental circumstances. So can we count on your support? I have to, I have to just <laughs> drop in this anecdote here because. Um, 
Sumita Singer, who um, was also in the in the race, but she's been doing. I, I just follow her and learn so much from her. But regarding POE and sustainability, a lot of buildings that are awards opened their doors to their users, to their occupants. So, you know, do we think that buildings should be have um, been used properly for at least a year? or whatever that time might be, and arguably a year isn't enough, um, and that POE completed before being nominated for major prizes. Let me know what you think. And I was like straight in there going, yeah, this would fundamentally change everything. Can you imagine if like in order to get that status that you referred to, Dan, like in order for that to happen, that you had to prove, the building had to prove itself. It had to prove itself for the benefit of the occupants, for the people who use it. Imagine just that, that one move about how that would change people's engagement with that part that building performance bit that would be another lever i think just to jump in and you can cut this bit out if if it's wrong but my understanding was that the riba awards buildings do have to have been completed over a year and submit data before they can submit for i don't know awards. i don't know not being somebody who puts a lot of buildings in for awards i've been telling my directors that, that they do <laughs> and i've been telling them that we need to submit data so yeah it could well be like a year isn't enough like, but a year isn't enough. Like even even as an architect working on domestic projects, when you very barely can hold on to your mm-hmm. contractor and your retention for the full 12 months before they're like gone. And often they just go anyway because it's not worth it for them to hang about. It's so, so hard. Anyway. It's, it's something we, we can learn. We can feedback to, to take back and uh, understand. I mean, I, I know that the RIBA have this new exhibition uh, Portland Place is called Long Life. Um, yes, it looks and, incredible. And it looks incredible, and I would like to go and like you know, because they have some case studies in there, um, and uh, it's just the one of one of their um, one of our. I don't know if I should you there or are now. I, I'm, <laughs> <laughs> Our is our is that kind of collaboration, isn't yeah. it? That's the way to go. <laughs> uh, one of one of our um, sort of uh, uh, for, forays into this conversation about circularity and circular economy, and and, and like how to champion uh, these 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 systems that we're talking about here. So, if you there's a little plug to RIVA sixty six Portland Place exhibition, long life. Low energy, designing for a circular economy. That's it. Yeah. (laughs) Shout out to Bobby Bobby Jewell for uh, sharing that with me and trying to convince me to come down and and see it with him when I just had no time. But he sent me pictures and wow, yeah, it looks amazing. Yeah, really great one. Just to say briefly, and I'm sorry for cutting off from you because we've been doing a lot of talking and and really it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, you didn't sit here, come here to to have uh, us pontificate. You're starting, you're listening to our early, you know? Um, (laughs) um, But um, no, um, there, there is a cynical reason for, uh, for awards uh, structures to, to take account of these kinds of, you know, this post-occupancy stuff. There's a project, uh, an Irish architecture award winner from 10, 10, 15 years ago or so. Um, I won't name, I'll tell you afterwards. Um, that was a nice project and the architecture, you know, in the conventional sense of design was almost was excellent. Um, and the, I don't know whether the architect was, at, I don't think the architect was at fault for this, but a few years after it was finished, the socializing project, um, the Irish Times, our kind of paper of record here, ran a big story about um, the awful kind of conditions that people were living in there. And uh, I remember the t- the line stuck with me. Uh, I think this is verbatim now, uh, was, um, Fist-sized clumps of mushrooms 
in people's uh you know in, inside people's homes you know um so and i think it was i think there was the contractor got into difficulty i think it was part of the reason but you know in other words for an architecture award-winning project to do that to, to have those kinds of problems that's that creates a huge pro, you know reputational risk for for the awards and for, for and for architecture uh you know in general um so it's there are defensive reasons should we say for 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 wanting to, to get these things right and make sure the buildings actually work. Yeah, no, totally. I get you. Um, and and yeah, I think it's what is the poster child for um, the future of architecture? I mean, you you wouldn't if you're thinking about. I know architecture keeps. Um, sometimes we talk when we talk about architecture, we kind of compare it with like the car and the manufacturing industry. Like, would you? For car of the year, would would car of the year be like you know a 1950s gas diesel gas guzzler type car? It would it would always going to be some sort of electric type of you know innovate like innovative and also it has all this sort of criteria attached to it for for being the best with the, the being the one that's future looking. And I think we can learn from all these different industries who are, who are doing things or who are slightly ahead of us. Um, on 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 how we represent the the status, what is that? What what the 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 good is good of architecture is, yeah. So I I totally buy that. But how I, I again I'm not gonna like promise anything here. It's just I I get it I get it and I understand that and we need to think long and hard. Well, then you're doing your job beautifully, yeah. aren't you? I hear you. I understand that. I'm gonna think about it. <laughs> I'm aware that we're probably up to time now, uh, and we don't want to rinse you. And I can see it getting dark in Sarah's gaff. Um, <laughs> but um, is there anything? Is there anything you'd like to put across to the audience, or anything you'd like to say that you haven't had a chance to today uh, before we wrap up? Uh, um, and I I'd just say that the audience is not going to be majority architects i don't think i think our audience is kind of quite a broad reach of that so in the in just if that if that affects the kind of message that you might want to put out i don't know um i mean i can say thank you again for um for, for uh for uh extended invite to me and uh what i would like to put out there is you know first of all we learned through stories and my position at RIBA will be to be a facilitator for architecture and be an the effective an effective adopt an effective and efficient way of storytelling the the best of, of what architecture is and how it impacts our lives. And I think uh, the agenda of climate action, health and well-being and just the cult general cultural awareness of, of um, design is something to advocate for and to be an activist for. So thank you again, Sarah, and thank you again for the rest of you, the team. I look forward to you know speaking again. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, yeah thank you. That was that was incredible. Thank you so yeah. much. Yeah, it's great. Thank you so much for you. <laughs> uh, so Jeff, are we are we stopped? Uh, yeah. yeah, I'm just telling Danny to mute. <laughs> Proper order, yeah, yeah. Keep yeah. it that way, Dan. Don't turn on your mic. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was. It yeah, was really you can great. spill the beans, Jeff, if you like. Now, yeah. What's what's yeah. what's the thing? It's called.